Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. It seems like the 60-second social is getting shorter, doesn't it? We're going to have to make it the 90-second social, but that doesn't sound as good when you say it. But um, hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor here. Uh, Welcome to the Vineyard. Really happy to have you in the room with us this morning. If you want to, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, This is the fourth Sunday of Advent. That's why we have four of our five candles lit. Uh, Great job, Maria. Really good job there. Appreciate that. Um, And so this week uh, we will be looking at Isaiah chapter 7. We've been in Isaiah the entire month of December uh, for Advent. And uh, to read the scripture to us this morning, uh, we'll be one of the pastors from the Evanston Vineyard. We're kind of like doing this joint thing between our church and one of the pastors there in uh, Chicago. So Seth, if you want to play that video and we'll just have our text. Hello. Good morning. Muy buenos dias, Vineyard Campusville. Please join me to read from the book of Isaiah, the chapter number seven. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, asked the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings will dread will be laid waste. Mm, Thank you. That's our text this morning. And if you have grown up in the church at all, or if you've maybe read the Bible a little bit and tried to figure out what's going on with the Jesus story, you've probably run across Isaiah chapter 7 at some point because there's that prophecy in the middle there where all of a sudden Isaiah is talking about Jesus in a very kind of roundabout way. Uh, He says that the sign will be a little baby will be born to a virgin. And we'll get into that maybe here in a little bit, but I want to start here. Uh, the title of today's message is, is Strange Signs, uh, Strange Signs. And the first thing I want to do is I just want to talk to you about signs in general for a moment. Uh, our world is inundated with signs. Everywhere you go, you see signs and you read signs. Uh, some of the signs that you may read even this week, you might see things like this. You might see a sign that says, uh, no smoking. You guys remember that you could once upon a time, you could just smoke anywhere. Uh, Heather and I were talking about this the other day. Do you guys remember you would, go, you would go to a restaurant and you would eat your food and the person next to you would just be burning one down. 
And we were all like, yeah, that's normal. I love this. But now one of the things you'll see is, no, you can't smoke here. No smoking. You got to go outside. Or maybe you see signs like this. Check in at the front desk before you see the doctor. You can't just go in and see the doctor. You got to check in, right? You got to put your name down. There's a little sign that tells you that. Or maybe you, maybe you need to present your ID before you scan your luggage. Uh, there's signs everywhere during election season. Isn't that right? Everybody's got their yard sign, you know, everybody puts their yard sign out and then you find out just how crazy your neighbors are, you know, and what sort of crazy they are. Uh, Not only that, but I was thinking about this when I was thinking about signs this week, I was thinking about the interstate, like the interstate in particular is just, it's just signs everywhere, right? Everywhere you go, there's signs telling you how fast you can drive. What is this exit? What is the food options at this exit? What are the gas options at this exit? Is there anything for another hundred miles. But one of the things that connects signs in every way is that in every case, the sign is attempting to get us to do something. Signs are always about getting us to do something, uh, to maintain some order or to elicit a particular response. Uh, Now, I'm I'm old enough to remember uh, life before the Maps app on my iPhone. Are you? Do you Do you remember that we would people would just get in their car and go places. You would go to a new place. You would have no idea how to get there and you were fine with that. You would just like, that's what you do. Well, I think you go north. I mean, I don't know exactly where I'm going is, but I know you go north. And here's what you would do. You would maybe have one of those big Rand McNally maps. Do you remember those? You'd get them. You would, you would literally drive with that thing out. You'd be driving. You'd be looking at the map. It's a wonder we're all not dead. Like, how did we survive? But then, then the next thing you would do is you would get closer. You, you know, you would invariably, you wouldn't even know where you were going and, and you would stop and you would talk to some poor person at the gas station. You would say, well, have you heard of this place? And they'd be like, yeah. And then you would write down some more specific directions from, and you would just trust that person. (laughs) Like this person maybe has been there I like to think that this person has no idea about where you're asking and they're just making things up. If I were the person running the gas station, that's what I would do. I'd be like, oh, I totally know. Just take a left out here and you just send them to the lake, you know? But that's what we would do. Uh, A few years ago, this is after maybe the maps on our phones are actually an app that work. Uh, I remember it was maybe, maybe one of the times that I went with my son River to New York City. And by the way, the Maps app on your phone in New York City is just, it's amazing. It's literally, it's a wonder. But on this particular trip, the Map app was not yet integrated with the subway system. Does that make sense? So you could see where you're at and you, you could look down the street and see, oh, there's a subway and I know I need to go up Manhattan or whatever. But it wasn't integrated, so you weren't sure which train you needed to get on. And so I was just sort of navigating that. And in order to navigate that, uh, you can imagine I'm reading the signs in the subway like crazy. I'm like really fixated on the signs. And one of the things I realized right up front is the signs were getting me onto the right train. But doofus me, uh, this happened a couple times in a row before I started figuring things out. Doofus me would get on the right train 
going the wrong direction. So it's like I needed to go to the Bronx. I needed to go north up Manhattan to the Bronx, but instead I'm going to the financial, right train, wrong direction. And I realized my mistake by reading the signs in the subway car. How many of you have ever been to New York City and you've been on the subway and the stops are illuminated? You know, and it's like, oh, this is the next one and this is the next. And then I'm like, oh, we're actually going the wrong way. Signs are always trying to tell you what you should be doing. They, they maintain order. They, they elicit a response. Signs tell us what to do. They tell us where to go. They tell us what is acceptable. They also tell us what's not acceptable. And in the case of uh, roads, they tell us not only how to get there, but maybe even more importantly, they tell you where you're at currently. That's really important. Signs are really helpful. And so here's what we have in Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, the Lord, through the prophet Isaiah, comes to King Ahaz and he says, you should ask the Lord for a sign. Now here's sort of the backstory at the moment. Uh, Judah and Israel are a divided kingdom. So at one moment during maybe the life of David and the life of Solomon and maybe for a short time after that, Israel's just one big happy family. But then shortly thereafter, Israel's family happiness kind of dissolves and they become two kingdoms. There's a southern kingdom and there's a northern kingdom, Israel to the north, Judah to the south, and they're kind of divided. And Ahaz is one of those kings and the Lord says, you know, you should ask me for a sign. And the, and the background here is not only are the people of God, not only are they divided, but now the surrounding countries, like Pastor Ray was telling us last week, the surrounding neighbors to both Israel and to Judah are beginning to say, you know what? This might be a good time to come into Israel and just take what's ours because you know what? They're not getting along very well and we've gotten stronger and so maybe we should move in. And the king is feeling this pressure and the Lord comes to him through the prophet and says, you know what? You should ask me for a sign. But what you noticed in, the today's, in today's passage from the reading, King Ahaz says what? I won't ask the Lord for a sign. And, he's, and he says something very particular here that sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? He says, I won't put the Lord to a test. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard that? Oh, I, I, I just won't put the Lord to a test. Instead of asking for a sign, Ahaz says no. He sounds super spiritual. Uh, it has echoes of Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, where where Jesus actually says, you know, he's quoting the Old Testament. Jesus says, don't put the Lord to your, your God to the test. And, and here Ahaz is saying, I won't do it. I, I won't put the Lord to it. But how many of you know that if God is saying, test me, you should test him, right? right? So that'd be like one thing. And you might be asking, you might be wondering, well, why, why does the king refuse to ask for a sign? And uh, here, here's just a couple, a couple of things that maybe give a little insight. Number, number one, uh, maybe he knows that if he asks for a sign, he'll be required to obey. You know, like if the Lord says, hey, ask me for a sign, maybe if you do ask him for a sign, maybe, maybe you don't like what's on the other side of the deal, right? I don't know. Maybe that was part of his motivation. Or, or, maybe, or maybe given the hardship of the moment, and by that I mean, being pressed on all sides by the enemies of God, maybe, maybe being hard-pressed 
not only that, but with division inside of Israel. Um, and maybe, maybe just considering the distance that Israel had fallen from the Davidic and, and Solomon moment of the kingdom. Now, you know, we're divided. We don't have the power. We don't have the glory. We, now, now our enemies are becoming a bigger problem. Maybe the distance between who we were and who we are. Maybe King Ahaz is thinking, I don't want to trust that God who let us come to this place. Maybe, maybe I don't know if I can go with that God, the one who has allowed all of this difficulty. Perhaps some of us in the room are in a moment like that. Maybe, maybe your own hardships and disappointments have made faith and trust almost impossible. And maybe trusting God like this feels a little bit too vulnerable. In any case, Ahaz does not ask for a sign, but he gets one anyway. Did you notice that? So the prophet comes to him and says, hey, you should ask the Lord for a sign. The king says, I won't test the Lord like that. But then the prophet says back to the king, what? Oh, you're going to get a sign. And the sign will be this. A virgin will have a baby and he'll be named Emmanuel. Here's the sign. A baby born to a virgin. And you might be thinking this morning, that's a weird sign. Imagine, imagine you're the leader of a country that's currently vulnerable to all of your surrounding enemies. And imagine the Lord comes to you and says, the sign that I'm with you is there'll be a baby born to a virgin. That's a weird sign. That's a weird sign. First thing I want to say about this sign is it's a prophetic skipping stone. I'd like everybody in the room to imagine maybe standing on the edge of a pond or a small stream. Anybody ever just picked up a flat rock and skipped it? You know, it'll touch and then it'll fly and then it'll touch. If you're really good at it and if the stream isn't moving too quickly or if it's not too wide, you can take a flat rock, a good one, and you can give it a good sling and you can cause it to skip like a little stone across and it can actually go to the other side. You ever done that? It's, it's, I don't know why that's so fun. You could, you could do that for a day. Like... It's something deep inside of human beings. It's like we just, we have to throw rocks. And part of what happens here in this passage is the prophetic significance of it is kind of like a skipping stone across water. And here's what I mean by that. There is a sign to King Ahaz in the day that he's living. There's a prophetic significance. There's a prophetic fulfillment of this passage. But then also that rock just keeps going and it flies 700 years later to the person of Jesus. So here's, here's the way the passage works. Uh, the prophet says to him, you will get a sign. And the, the, the sign will be uh, a, a virgin will conceive a child and she'll name him Emmanuel. And here, here's probably what happens. Someone in King Ahaz's circle. So somebody in his court, somebody that he knows, some young woman gets pregnant, has a baby, and names him Emmanuel. Now, the woman, the sign here is, the woman doesn't know that this prophet has given this word to the king. Does this make sense? And she names him Emmanuel. And the sign will be, when this woman names this child Emmanuel, King Ahaz, then you will know that God is with you and you're getting reprieve from your enemies. 
That'll be your sign. But it doesn't stop there. It skips like a stone and it lands 700 years later with Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus. And I guess what I want to say to the church this morning is, that's a really weird sign. It's such a strange way to promise deliverance. One more thing about signs. Not only do signs tell us what to do, but most of the time, most signs are public. They're public. And one of the things about signs being public and attempting to tell us what to do or to maintain some order, uh, in order for a sign to work in a public sense and in order for it to get us to do what it wants us to do, there has to be something obvious about the sign. You know, one of the things that doesn't work when you're making signs is if you make them like riddles. Have you ever noticed that people, like the interstate is not littered with riddles. There's not a big green sign with some kind of a riddle on it, and if you can figure it out, then you'll know where to go. No, signs are public. Signs tell us what to do. But then signs are also supposed to be obvious. Otherwise, we're a little bit, we're a little bit lost. You know, exit 115 for Chick-fil-A. Or all, all, all visitors must sign in with the office staff. Don't walk on the grass. You know, most signs are for us. And because that, the sign needs to be understandable. It needs to be clear, readable, and actionable. But here we're at in the text, we're at a moment when Judah's being harassed by its enemies. Uh, and then we're also in this moment when we, even today, humanity, we're living in darkness and some people are in the need of hope. And then God gives a sign, but the sign is a baby born to a virgin in obscurity. This is, this is, the, way, this is the way God works sometimes. You know, if I were a Haas, the sign, I'd, the sign I'd want would be an army holding flaming swords. That's what I would want. If I were, if I were a Haas and all my enemies were surrounding me, I would be open to a sign from God and I would want it to be tanks. I would want it to be, I'd want it to be armies, like well-equipped, well-trained armies. And I'd want it to be obvious. Uh, maybe, maybe today we'd hope for something more classically powerful and a lot more clear. Yet here we are, here we are both in Isaiah and then the Christmas story that everyone in this room probably knows. What we're left with is a little baby born in a manger. And, and here's why, I think. I think it's because sometimes hidden is best. It seems as though that in Jesus, God is moving in a way that we have to pay very close attention to. Jesus said a few things kind of like this when he was alive here on the earth and doing his ministry. He said, when you pray, when you give, and when you fast, do it what? Do it in secret. And so sometimes there's something about hiddenness that's actually, that's actually better. And Jesus said that the seed of the kingdom, it gets sown into the field. And if seeds get sown into the field, what happens to those seeds? They get covered up. And Jesus said that a little bit of yeast gets placed in the dough. And if the yeast goes in the dough, then it gets, it gets covered up and you, and you can't find it. And so there's something, there's something about God's kingdom that's 
oftentimes actually not obvious. In fact, it's, it's hidden. Uh, eventually, Jesus' body was hidden in a tomb and the stone was rolled over and you, you couldn't see him. You couldn't, you couldn't find him. And then after Jesus' resurrection, uh, he ascended into heaven. Uh, by far, to me, the strangest thing in the New Testament is not the resurrection of Jesus, it's the ascension of Jesus. Like he's alive, he's appeared to 500 people, and then he just floats off. And now Jesus lives in heaven, but what? He's, he's hidden. He's hidden away in some, in some peculiar way. He's hidden away. And so for all the ways that Jesus could be obvious, and for all the ways that Jesus could be spectacular or, or exactly the way he, we think he should be, he's often, he's often working sideways to our intuition. And it's the same thing with the sign of his birth. It's the same way with his coming as a baby. God is with us, but not in the way that you and I might imagine. Born in a barn, mostly mostly away from the world's awareness. I want to read a little passage to you from Matthew chapter 2. Seth, maybe we can put that up. This is Matthew chapter 2. I was just thinking about this. Matthew chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. When King Herod heard, when he heard what? That there's a, there's a new king in town. He was disturbed and all Jerusalem was also disturbed. And when he had called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And what prophet? Isaiah. Yeah, we'll just stop there for a second. But here's what's interesting about this, about God's hiddenness and about uh, he's not always working in a manner that is obvious. Here's what's strange. Uh, Some wise men come. They say, hey, we've seen this sign in the heavens. Where's the baby born? And... And Herod is disturbed by this. And he's like, well, I don't know. Let's ask the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Here's what's really strange. They actually know where Jesus is born. But guess who didn't go see him? No one from Herod's house and none of the chief priests or the teachers of the law actually went to see Jesus. It was, it was, only, it was only the wise men who were following these signs that were not that obvious. And so Jesus is hidden even to the people who have all the answers, even to the people with the information. And I bring that up because that's us. Like if you're a Christian, if you've been raised in church, if you know the Jesus story at all, uh, you know, one of the things that we have to recognize is, is that oftentimes God is working and oftentimes God is revealing himself and oftentimes God is giving us signs, but sometimes the signs he gives are not obvious to us. And sometimes what we have is even when we have the information, we, we are, we are, his, his presence is hidden from us, even though we actually know. It's really, really strange. It also reminds me of another passage. This is from the Old Testament. Seth, maybe we can put this up. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 12. Do you guys, you guys remember this, this passage? Uh, the Lord was not in the wind. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. But look here. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came what? A gentle whisper. Uh, I love this passage because... Yeah, it's maybe, maybe, maybe your translation says still small voice, the gentle whisper. 
And you might be wondering, well, what's the point of this? Well, here's the point, I think. Uh, why, why, would God, why would God come to anyone, but why would God come to us in a still, small voice? Like, theoretically, he could come to us in an earthquake, in a wind, and in a fire. God could come to us with neon. He could write his own name in neon, right? But it's interesting that he comes to us in a gentle whisper. And here's part of why I think that is. How many of you know that if, you, if you're going to hear the gentle whisper, you actually have to want to hear the gentle whisper? How many of you know that any fool can hear the shouting? Like anybody can hear the shouting, but in order to hear the gentle whisper, you actually have to want to hear the gentle whisper. So God, God sometimes hides himself, or the sign that he gives us is sometimes hidden in obscurity because it actually invites invitation. By coming in obscurity, God is giving us a sign that invites investigation. It requires a posture of listening. God gives a baby when you need a tank. Ahaz got a baby when he needed a tank. By the way, the idea that you need a tank, that's worldly wisdom. You know, worldly wisdom is we fight fire with fire. We fight strength with strength. Uh, we, we do things that are big. But in the days of Jesus' birth, uh, Israel was no less surrounded. In fact, it was completely held by Rome. And the Messiah shows up not only in obscurity, but the Messiah shows up as a newborn baby. And here's the thing about babies, especially if they're the sign. Uh, babies are tender. Babies pose a threat to no one. Uh, no one is afraid of a baby. Not even the weakest person in here. Babies are tender. Nobody's afraid of babies. Babies are helpless. They require constant care. Uh, how many of you know there's no fatigue like new baby fatigue? You know, you're, you're sleep deprived. You're sleep deprived and all the time you once had to chill and recover, it's now gone. And, and this is the sign of God to Ahaz. And it's also the sign... Uh, the sign of God to Israel under Roman oppression. And it's also the sign to us today for everybody in this room living a life of quiet desperation within the grips of modernity and Western prosperity. The child sign would say at least two things to us this morning. Not only is, not only is it a sign that invites investigation, but the fact that the sign is a baby it means at least two things to us this morning. Number one, it means that God is with you in your weakness. God is with you in the very places, in the very places where you are vulnerable and in the very places that you need care. In the very places where you do not have strength, that is actually where God is most with you. In the very places where you cannot, in the very places where you are not impressive and you are not able those are the places that God is Emmanuel for you. Uh, we do not meet God in the halls of Herod, but instead he's in the stables of a know-nothing town. Jesus never went to the halls of Herod. And we don't meet God in our strengths or impressiveness. Instead, he appears in our infant, in our infant weaknesses. 
You know, uh, in the very places where you and I are really put together and doing well, we will never meet God in those places. We meet God in our weakness. We meet God in our vulnerabilities. We meet God in the places where we cannot. We meet God in our failures. That's actually the gospel to us. That's what the sign of a baby means. Uh, And number two, this is actually a little more difficult. Uh, If Jesus is the sign, and if the sign comes as a baby, it also means this. It means we meet God in the weakness of others. And that one's difficult. I'm not going to lie. It takes a minute to believe that God might come to me in my own weakness, but it might take a lifetime for me to learn that God comes to me in the weakness of others. That's the difficult one. How many of you know that sometimes other people's weakness is very frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm like, can we, can we not do that? But this is Jesus. Mary first knew the power of Jesus by attending the vulnerable infant. Before she ever drank the wine of his power in Cana, she held him in her arms and nursed him. This is where she met the power of God first. And when she held him, and when she nursed him, and when she changed him, here's the other thing. He was no less the son of God in those moments. That's the amazing part. It wasn't like he grew up and became the son of God. He was the whole time. So the sign was an infant, but also the sign was the mother. Isaiah says, a virgin, no less. And that brings up all sorts of questions. And some of us in the room might be thinking, really? A virgin? Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Uh, here, here's what I want to tell you. Uh, I, I'm just this medieval. I actually do believe it. And I think it's essential. I think it's essential. And, and you, might be, you might be wondering, well, why would Mary being a virgin mother be essential? Well, here's why. Because a virgin birth is completely in line with the story of gospel, the story of the gospel that we've been telling up to this point. Uh, God is with us in obscurity and God is with us in hiddenness. Uh, God is with us in our own vulnerability and in our own tenderness. But in the virgin birth, God comes to us as a means of pure grace. How many of you know that a virgin birth is totally and utterly impossible? The virgin birth is, is, is only what God could do. It's only, it's only what God could do. Uh, God's power, uh, God's deliverance, uh, his intervention, his with us is not a matter of human effort or imagination. Instead, it's God's ability to do the impossible. That's what the gospel story is all about. It's, it's that God comes to us uh, in tenderness. God comes to us in weakness. God comes to us in hiddenness, but it's also that God comes to us by a means that are, that's utterly humanly impossible. It's only what he could do. And so the message this morning is that in the very places where you are weak, in the very places that you are vulnerable, in the very places that you are tender, in the very places where you feel hidden 
or obscure, uh, in the very ways that it feels like God is not moving in your life, in the very places that you feel the most need and see the least, those are the places that God is actually moving in your life and he wants to come to you Uh, as a means of pure grace, not in your own strength, not in your own effort, not in the things that you make happen, but in the very way that he came to Mary, he, he does it. God's deliverance comes to us in the very same way, in the places where we are weak, but it is utterly him and it is utterly his power. So church this morning, Uh, as we are gathered together as the people of God. Uh, You might be here and you might be uh, really high this morning or you might be really low. And if you are on the lower end of the spectrum, let let me just talk to you for a second. The good news for anybody who's feeling like they're maybe at the bottom of the barrel, the good news is the gospel is this. At the bottom of the barrel, Jesus is the one you will meet. Uh, at, at, the, at the darkest night, Jesus is the one you'll meet. Uh, when you don't have the strength, Jesus is that strength for you. In the very place where you feel like you can't, God will. This is the good news for us this morning. Uh, if you're on the ministry team or if you're on the worship band, come on up. Uh, here's what we want to do this morning. We want to, we want to worship and sing one more time together, but we also just we want to pray for anybody who needs it this morning. And we want to do that because the Spirit is here to help us. So why don't you do this? Why don't you stand this morning? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.